Let's take our seats, and the sermon this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 16. The book of Acts, chapter 16. And the title of the sermon is this, The Church at Philippi Begins, Acts, chapter 16. Um, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but just continue from where we carried on last week with what did we look at last week we looked at the conversion of lydia lydia's conversion how the lord simply opened up her heart and she believed and so we're going to hear the word of god from acts chapter 16 and and bring out some further points for us as part of our worship this morning acts chapter 16 and verse 16 it says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said uh, to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, 
you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid. And when they heard that they were citizen, Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Do you remember how this church was planted? That's the title of the sermon. The church at Philippi begins. There were closed doors for Paul, but it wasn't just Paul. There was a team of four men. Do you remember who was on that team? There was Paul, there was Silas, there was Luke, and there was Timothy. And Timothy's, mean, Timothy's name means one who honors God. And there were closed doors, but then an open door came, and Paul had a vision from God with a man of Macedonia, which was across the sea, not in Asia where he was now, but in Europe, in what is modern-day Greece today. And this man saying, come over and help us. And Paul the apostle realized this was God calling them. And once they got to Philippi, who was the first convert? It was Lydia. And what a difference between Lydia's conversion and Paul's conversion. Paul's was dramatic, wasn't it? He was thrown down off his horse or thrown down off his donkey, and he was blinded with this vision from Jesus. But what about Lydia? Well, her conversion, she wasn't thrown off. Um, simply the Lord opened her heart. Which conversion describes your conversion? Paul's or Lydia's? Because we may wonder there is nothing deficient in Lydia's conversion. Sometimes the stubborn ones need to be thrown down off a horse. But we're going to see a little bit later on because we see later on in this passage as we've already heard, that persecution broke out. And we can often read Acts 16, but the persecution our mind doesn't pick up on. Why? Because we live very comfortable Christian lives, don't we, in Britain? Remember what happens. It says this persecution happened once Paul cast this demon out of this fortune teller. Why? Because they were upset that their means of gain had gone. And it says in verse 19, but her owners saw their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and did what? 
they dragged them into the marketplace. Just remember that word. They were dragged. Could you imagine if you were dragged? And that was just the beginning of their persecution. But the Greek word for dragged there is also used in John's Gospel that no one can come to me except the Father draws them. But it's the same word. Some people are drawn to Christ by God and some people are dragged to Christ. Are you a dragged one or a drawn one this morning? The fact is, if you've been brought to faith in Jesus Christ, whether you were dragged or drawn, it's still the work of God if you're saved and to him alone be the glory. The, fa the fact is, it's by their fruits you shall know them. And what happened to Lydia? The first thing Lydia did, she obeyed the word of God and said, come to my house. So when there is salvation, there'll be a willing obedience to please Jesus. Are you living your lives with willing obedience to please Jesus? As the word of God has been preached, are you sat here, oh, it's just another service. It's just another sermon. Or are you sat there gripped as the word of God comes, examining yourself, where do I need to obey Jesus Christ and the word of God? Because that's what God requires of us. Humility. But what a whirlwind for us here. The thing is, we're so used to these things, they often do not sink in. We have four simple headings for us, and preaching is surely far more than giving headings out. But there are four headings. The first heading is this slave girl is delivered. Now, she gets delivered, but there's no evidence that she becomes part of the church. But nonetheless, Satan tries to stop Paul and the team, and God intervenes. The second heading is Paul and Silas are imprisoned. I could give it another heading and say Paul and Silas were suffered, they persecuted, but we'll stay with that. Number two, Paul and Silas were imprisoned. Number three, and we all love this one, don't we? The jailer's family were saved. Remember what the jailer said? Sirs, what must we do to be saved? Don't we wish we heard that more often from people? But that's what happened there. And fourthly, Paul and Silas depart. We don't know how many weeks that they were in Philippi, but there's such a whirlwind that only God Almighty can be credited for the birth of this church in Philippi, which flourishes and grows. We could hardly say this is a missionary manual as to how to do it, because they were not doing it. Paul wasn't doing it. God was using Paul and the team, but it was the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. So let's get briefly to our first heading this morning. The slave girl delivered. And let's read in verse 16 again. As we were going to the place of prayer, the same place where Lydia was converted, we don't know the time between the two events, but the same place again. And now word seems to have spread that Paul and his team are preaching the way of salvation. And this slave girl, what does she say? All the words that she speaks are true. She says, 
she followed Paul in verse 17, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Everything she was saying was true. But it wasn't from God what she was saying. And remember about Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus' ministry began and demons began to come out of people and demons would cry out and say true things. This is what we get in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, what demons said of Jesus, to Jesus and to others. The demons said of Jesus, I know who you are the Holy One of God. But what did Jesus do? It's all true. Jesus is the Holy One of God. The demons seemed to know who Jesus was before other people did. But what did Jesus do? Jesus rebuked them, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Now, Paul discerned that what was coming out of this slave girl, though it was true, the origin of it was Satan. It was satanic. She was a fortune teller. And the last thing we wanted to be identified with this fortune teller for anybody to think she's part of our team. She wasn't part of the team. In, in the Greek text, it says she has a spirit, and it says a spirit, a python, which may well have been referenced to some of the false gods of the day. Who knows? But what did Paul do? He, he turned round and he said, he says she kept on doing this for many days. Paul became greatly annoyed and he turned and said to the spirit inside the woman, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Wasn't Paul saying, do you mind stop saying this and finding it very frustrating? No, it was Paul bringing deliverance to the woman from this evil spirit, and it left immediately. But we don't have any evidence that she was brought into the church. We don't read, as we do about Lydia and the Philippian jailer, that they believed in the Lord and they were baptized. We don't read this of this woman whatsoever. But what we see is this satanic opposition that we also find when Paul went to Cyprus. And the same thing happened there. So the first thing that we're reading about to this this, the beginning of the church in Philippi is this slave girl is delivered. But why don't we move on to some more good news, but there's some bad news before there's good news. And it's Paul and Silas for our second heading are imprisoned. Imagine that. Imagine being thrown into prison. I think the nearest prison to us today is Doncaster, isn't it? And I, and I think it's reputed that prison to be called, you know, people call it Doncatraz, don't they? Um, but where Paul and Silas were thrown into, this was no Doncatraz. There were no TVs and warm beds there. This was first century Greece and, well, first century Roman Empire. And how did they get into prison? Well, in verse 19, verse 20, they were brought before the magistrates. They were accused of disturbing the city. They were accused of advocating customs uh, that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And notice this. In verse 22, 
The magistrates tore their garments and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. Imagine that. They were being dragged into prison, but beforehand, Paul and at least Silas were being beaten with rods. This is brutal, isn't it? Being beaten with rods. Paul later on tells us in 2 Corinthians 11.23 that he received countless beatings. And to be beaten with rods, their bodies would be blooded. Their bodies would be bruised. They would be absolutely cast down. These things happen today. If you speak to Christians in northern Nigeria, these things happen to Christians today. In certain parts of China, this happens today. In North Africa, in places like North Sudan, these things happen today. This is brutal persecution. We pray that God would grant a spiritual revival. I, I'm not an expert on a revival. I've never seen one. But I'm told that if God does pour out his spirit, that there will be increased opposition from Satan. So we need to be prepared for it and not surprised. Oh, our pastor's just been beaten with rods. This is happening in the Bible and it happens this present day. And what does the Bible say when you're persecuted like this or you suffer? Has anybody read 1 Peter recently? 1 Peter says in chapter 4, let's not be surprised by suffering. But today... We don't experience this, but we may, and it's not something that's unbiblical. It's found in the Bible. But nothing can stop the planting of this church. As I've said, they were dragged into prison. I'm not going to explain that again. But here, Paul, one verse I'm going to bring out for us is in verse 25. If you have your Bible, just look there for a moment in verse 25. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas, they're in prison, their bodies have been beaten, their bloodied bodies. What are they doing? At midnight, in verse 25, it says Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Let me just say that one more time. They were in prison. They've been beaten with rods. They've been persecuted. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Is that your view? In Luke's gospel, I've always found this interesting. It says in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, we're blessed when we're persecuted and we're to leap for joy. Have you ever tried to leap for joy? That's the kind of thing that children do, isn't it? You know, children love to leap for joy, especially when it's snowing. So it's almost like the opposite of what you'd want to do. You want to be downcast. You want to feel sorry for yourself. You want to show people your wounds. But here we find that Paul and Silas were in prison. Their beaten, battered bodies. They were, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Is that how you and I will respond if we face such persecution? 
And not furthermore, it turns into be an evangelistic opportunity. In what way? The prisoners were listening to them. Imagine that. They were praying. We don't know what they were praying, but they, they were praying loud enough to God for other prisoners to hear. They were in the inner prison. And they were, they were singing hymns. We don't know exactly what kind of songs they were singing. We don't know, but they were singing praises to God. So they must, I presume, have memorized something more than praise God from whom all blessings flow, which I love. But I don't think they were singing only that because it had not been written then. But they, they had obviously memorized, I presume, certain songs and hymns, and they were singing praises to God. How are you feeling this morning in the Lord's hands? Has it been a difficult week? And it won't be a surprise if it will have been for some people. But how were Paul and Silas, how did they respond? At midnight, they were praying to God. They were singing to God. And others heard. Maybe the people who will hear you will be your own children. Listen to mummy and daddy singing praises to God. Singing together unites us, doesn't it? It's hard to sing together and be divided with one another. And so here Paul and Silas are singing praises to God. And they've not read the rest of the story. What happens next? Our third heading is the jailer's family gets saved. Can you say amen to that? Because... Here we have a jailer saved. This is not a refined uh, person, as it were, like Lydia was. Lydia, you get the impression, was a very gentle and gifted woman. Here now as a Philippian jailer, and, and these Roman prisons, I've got a book on my shelf at home. And it tells you about prisons in the day of Rome. And they were rough. They varied. Sometimes you had a house arrest and you had to take care of yourself, but the prisons themselves, they were not places of comfort. Far, far from it. But what we find here is that something happens remarkably. In verse 25, they're singing, they're praying to God, they're singing to God, and something happens in verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds, their chains, were unfastened. Imagine that. Imagine that. I'm sure there's been a Christian prisoner over the years that's read this and started singing praises to God, wondering, would the Lord do the same thing, send an earthquake to that prison? open up all the prison doors, get everyone's shackles off them so you could walk out free. But what happened was, God had a purpose. And the purpose was to save the Philippian jailer. In verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in. He was going to kill himself. But then he realized he came to Paul and Silas and said, verse 30, these famous words, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
he knew that this earthquake was connected to Paul and Silas. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Have you ever said that to your mum? What must I do, mummy, to be saved? Have you ever asked that question yourself? It's, we must preach it because the answer is wonderful. I know of one church they have on their pulpit these words. Sirs, we would see Jesus. And so the church is the place where Jesus is to be preached, but also the way of salvation. That's part of God's purpose for the church, to point to the way of salvation. That's exactly what Paul and Silas did. What did they say? Well, first, they answered the Philippian jailer, and they pointed him to Jesus, not to themselves, the one who was crucified, the one who was buried, the one who was raised from the dead. They then invited this Philippian jailer and his family to believe in this message of the gospel. Notice what they said to them. They said in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. Let me say it one more time. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What a promise. Are there people in your household that are not saved yet? What a promise. This is for you. Now, again, we're not getting a word-by-word -word account from Luke. He's giving a summary. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's good enough in itself. But then he says, and your household. God is interested in household salvations. Isn't that wonderful? May not happen all on one day, but this is God's purpose. And we have to walk by faith in this manner. So they pointed the Philippian jailer to Jesus. They invited him to believe in Jesus. They called him to it. He's also assured if he puts his faith in Jesus, he will be saved, not saved from losing his job, but saved in terms of salvation and having his sins forgiven. And further, he's told this, that his saving faith will lead to his household to being saved. I'm not saying that people shouting out Amen is, is a sign that the word of God is getting through, but these are rich promises for us, are they not? And what happens is that we see that this man, he was uh, brought to Christ, he took, um, he believed, he took Paul and Silas, the same hour of the night, he washed their wounds, just like Lydia. He began to obey the word of God. He was baptized at once. He and all of his family. We know at least he was saved. But there's a household baptism again, like there was for Lydia. And then verse 34, he brought them up into his house and set food before them. Here's again the gift of hospitality. 
Lydia had the gift of hospitality, and so did the Philippian jailer. And don't we need the gift of hospitality to flourish in the church? We should pray for that. And he says, he rejoiced along with his entire household in 34 that he had believed in God. And before we finish this sermon this morning, let me ask us all this question. Are you rejoicing in salvation if it's come to you? Or are you, could you say, my joy level is really low? But remember what Paul writes to the Philippians based on this kind of experience. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I will say, rejoice. That doesn't mean we don't have other emotions. Doesn't mean we don't mourn. Doesn't mean we're not sad. It doesn't mean that rejoicing is the only emotion that we'll ever experience. But when we think about Jesus Christ, his shed blood upon the cross, his rising from the dead, his applying salvation to us, what should it do for us, which it did for this jailer? It says, in the word of God, he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So there we find the whole household believed in God at the same time. And they rejoiced. What an encouragement to us this morning. And fourthly, and let me just say one thing before the fourth heading. It doesn't tell us the mode of baptism, by the way. You may have different views on baptism. Some might be into full immersion. Some might prefer... Uh, you know, sprinkling, and some may uh, go for uh, pouring. All three modes are valid, but the mode of baptism is never given anywhere in the book of Acts. The fact is they were baptized, though. The Trinitarian name would have been used. But our fourth heading is this. The church is now established in Philippi, and it's as if the Lord is saying, thank you very much, Paul and Silas, but the work's now going to continue without you because we read in the word of God here at the end of chapter 16 it says verse 40 and the fourth heading is Paul and Silas depart so when they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers they encouraged them and departed so Paul and Silas departed Philippi the title of the sermon is this the church at Philippi begins. The end of the sermon, if we give it a title now, is the church at Philippi has begun. And when God begins a work, he will bring it through to completion. Philippians 1 verse 6. Nothing can ever stamp out the work of God. Persecution can come. Being beaten with rods will, may come. But nothing will ever stamp out the church. Because our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not on human power. Not on human methods. Not on human personalities. Yes, it's going to be built on the preaching of the word of God. But it's the word of God that will go forth. Nothing will cause God's church to be shaken. Paul and Silas depart. And what do we learn that's been a very short heading that last heading 
four last things for us as application. Number one, the Holy Spirit. There'll be no conversions without the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I spoke to a friend of mine recently in a different country to our own who's going through very difficult times at the moment. And I said to him, you need to think much about the Holy Spirit. But she said he really appreciated. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And what does the comforter do? He points us to Jesus. What does Jesus do? He points us to the Father. The first thing, application, is the Holy Spirit. There'll be no conversions without the Holy Spirit. Are we begging God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that there would be conversions? Number two is, you've got it already, the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled the battered and bleeding, persecuted bodies of Paul and Silas at midnight. Yes, friends, at midnight. At the darkest hour, at midnight, to be praying to God and singing to God. That can only be explained by the work of the Holy Spirit. And our third application is this. The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that began the church in Philippi. It's the Holy, church, Holy Spirit who will continue the work in Philippi. And may we have a rich doctrine and a biblical understanding of the third person of the Trinity who is the Holy Spirit. We're not left as orphans here today. God has promised his Holy Spirit.